Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection states that the traits passed on are those with positive attributes for their environment. So what was Hollywood thinking when they adapted my best friend's exorcism? Welcome to Unnatural Selection, a podcast about film adaptations of books, the weird decisions Hollywood makes in the process, and what makes a good adaptation or a faithful adaptation. Today on the podcast, we have Marn. Marn, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, uh, I am Marn. I am the event manager at Moonshot. You may have heard me on Argonauts or with Emma on Dead Teen House Party. Sweet. And as you just heard, I'm Emma. I will be your host for a natural selection. Any pronouns are fine. And let's get into it. Today, we're going to be talking about the book My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, published in 2016, and its recent film adaptation of the same name, My Best Friend's Exorcism, released on Amazon uh, earlier this year. Marn, what are your first thoughts on this adaptation? Uh, well... Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Grady Hendrix is one of my favorite horror authors. Like, I just want to get that all the way up front. Um, this is probably one of my favorite books by him. And I was very excited for the movie. And I watched the movie, like, the day it came out. I enjoyed it. I just finished rereading the book. I think I like the movie less now that I've reread the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that statement. <laughs> um, to just dive in, for those of you who have not read the book or seen the movie, I'm going to read you a little synopsis of each of them. So here's the synopsis from Wikipedia for the book. The year is 1988, and Abby Rivers has just started her sophomore year of high school in, Southern, in South Carolina. She is glad to have her best friend Gretchen Lang at her side, as they have been inseparable since they met at Abby's 10th birthday back in 1982. Gretchen was the only one to attend Abby's ET-themed birthday party at the skating rink, and their friendship was cemented ever since. The novel then goes through their relationship from that point on, which includes singing into hairbrushes to Madonna, getting their hair braided in Jamaica, and dealing with the awkwardness of growing up, whether it is bad acne or overprotective parents. They even try LSD with their friends Glee and Margaret at Margaret's Lake House, a decision that results in Gretchen disappearing into the woods and returning a few hours later. Her friends are concerned, but Gretchen claims that nothing happened. Her actions belie her words, as she begins acting increasingly more erratic, prompting Abby to suspect that Gretchen might actually be possessed by a demon. And here's the synopsis for the movie. In 1988, best friends Abby and Gretchen navigate boys, pop culture, and a paranormal force clinging to Gretchen. With help from the mall exorcist, Abby is determined to compel the demon back to the pits of hell if it doesn't kill Gretchen first. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, so we've got some very different synopses here. Yeah. Um, and I think just the first thing to point out really is that the Wikipedia synopsis goes so in-depth into 
that birthday party and the friendship montage. Yeah. Which is never fucking mentioned in the movie. I was so mad that they didn't do anything with that in the movie. Like, even when I was watching it, I was like, no, you need this context to, like, make the rest of the story hit. Exactly. You need to understand where their friendship is coming from in order for it to work. Yeah. There was an article I read while researching this um, on, where was it? I have so many tabs open for this. There was an article on Game Rant that pointed out that the major way this book fails is by not building up. This movie fails is Mm -hmm. by not building up the friendship between Abby and Gretchen and making us just go, they're besties. Trust us. Yeah. And like, I feel one of the biggest feelings I took away from watching the movie is that like, they constrain themselves so hard to, like, a 90-minute movie that it shot them in the foot. Like, if they had gotten an extra, like, 30 minutes in there, I think that it would have instantly become a better movie. Even just 30 minutes! Like, exactly. It is the fact that they went for that tight 90 that really Uh made it super choppy. They jump around so much, and they don't give you that... Even, like, a five-minute introductory scene of Abby's birthday party and having, like, the Coke can scene with Tommy Cox. Yeah. It's Even like, just it's, having that. <laughs> it's such a weird choice, I think, to, like, kind of do away with the... the, the It's almost a slow burn at the beginning of the book where, like, you get several chapters that's, like, just context on the friendship and it's, like, building it up and building it up to, like, oh, like, here's this very isolated, like, terrible thing that happened right at, like, the peak of their friendship. But, like, it is context that you need in order to appreciate the core character dynamic of the book. And it's so bizarre to me that they didn't even put that in as like a thing in the beginning of the movie like oh here's how these two characters met and like here's just like a little tiny flashback of like they met at Abby's birthday party at like the roller rink and they skated together like there was none of that and it it really does just feel like they're being like yeah they're best friends uh because dude trust me (laughs) Yeah, it's like people who have only seen the movie, you watch it and go, well, why should I believe you that they're, uh-huh. best, that they're best friends? They give no reason for them to be best friends. They only give reasons for them not to be throughout it. They only give, like, and they don't lean into any of the, like, core concepts that Grady put, Hendrix puts in the book. Uh-huh. They don't lean into, they put, like, a tidbit of every concept, but don't commit to any one theme. Yeah. They were were afraid to have a message, which just is like the core of all of Grady Hendrix's horror novels is he is very direct with what the point of this story is about. Yeah. It's like, it's especially infuriating because I feel like, there's not a lot of horror that is about, like, 
strong female friendships being like the thing that wins the day and like the book very much does do that and i feel like it it fell flat in the in the movie i genuinely thought that in the movie's climactic scene um the scene where Abby is doing her own exorcism. The original uh-huh. exorcism didn't work. We're jumping around here a lot, listeners. We'll give you a general <laughs> overview at some point. Um, the climactic scene where Abby has given up on doing like a traditional like Christian exorcism and is using their friendship as like the strong belief. Yeah. The like the that is the thing that she believes in wholeheartedly. That is the thing she is committed to and loves and worships. And it falls flat because it mentions all of these things that in the book we see. And when we get up to that moment, you're like crying because you're like, yes, yeah, you do have all of this. But in the movie, it just feels weird because we haven't, we don't know any of the things that they're talking about. They mention all of the, Things They mentioned Tommy Cox's Coke can and singing to Madonna and going on a trip together. But it doesn't have that weight because this is the first time the viewer is hearing about it. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it, it they, they just do a really bad job establishing kind of like the core friendship that is the thing that the book entirely revolves on. Yeah. So... <laughs> Marn, would you like to give a a basic plot summary of the book? Yes, having having literally just finished uh, rereading it. So exactly, I know you <laughs> finished rereading it like forty minutes ago. Uh huh. So yeah, so it, it it starts with you get like a couple chapters that are like, well, actually no, it starts with the the frame story, which is like Abby is an adult and she finds out that like this exorcism, this exorcist that she knew, uh, died. And that was kind of, like, the frame story. Like, she's an adult and she's, like, thinking about this thing that happened to her and Gretchen when they were teenagers. Um, and then it goes all the way back to uh, 1982 when Abby was 10. Uh, and they meet at this, like, skating party. And she has, like, invited all of the girls in her class. But they're, like, over at another girl's house riding horses. And, like, Gretchen is the new girl in town, and she comes to Abby's party because her mom makes her go. Um, But also because she, like, thinks it's not fair that, like, everyone ignored Abby's invitation. Um, And Abby at first, like, thinks that she's very weird because Gretchen's family is, like, very Christian. And Gretchen gives her a Bible for her birthday. And she's like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I don't want to be your friend. Um, And she, like, hides in the bathroom, and Gretchen comes in after her. Uh, and crawls under the bathroom stall, uh, and, like, it's like, I didn't want to give you a Bible for your birthday, like, I think that's stupid. Um, and they end up roller skiing together, and they become best friends. (laughs) And it's very sweet, and it's a really good, like, opening to this book. Uh, and there's, like, a bunch of backstory and, like, other stuff that they did for, like, the next six years, blah blah blah. It fast-forwards to them being 16, um, they are in junior question mark year of high? Sophomore. Okay, they're sophomores. Um, they're sophomores. They go with their friends, Margaret and Glee, who were, like, the popular girls 
in their middle school who like they are now friends with they are like now in the popular clique um but abby is like specifically from a middle class family and gretchen is from a, a very rich family um and so like abby is like middle class not quite as put together like teen girl who hangs out with like the the popular like pretty girls um which is important to the themes of the book that you know that (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. (laughs) they all like go to a beach house question mark is it a beach house or a lake house i don't remember it's a lake house okay it's a lake house but but there is a beach house later Yes, there's a beach okay. house later. There's a lake house now, but because it's South Carolina, it's like yes. kind of estuary, so it's still saltwatery. I will say, having recently been to Charleston, South Carolina, within like the past six months, helps me picture it in my mind a lot better <laughs> reading it this time. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, like that's a real road, and I've been there. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so yeah, they they go to a lake house. And they take acid uh, that Margaret and Glee have, like, procured through... They, like, stole it out of a guy's hotel room because he was supposed to deal it to them and get arrested. And Gretchen decides to go skinny dipping in the lake high on acid. And she, like, goes missing and, like, crawls out of the lake and, like, goes off into the dark. And they can't find her. And the other girls look for her all night. Um, And finally, Abby finds her, like, like after, like, four hours of searching or whatever. And she's, like, freaked out and she's naked. And they, uh, they just, like, end up going home and Gretchen's, like, really sick. And the next couple days, she's like, oh, like, I think I'm having acid flashbacks, like, I, I keep feeling like someone touching the back of my neck and like I feel sick all the time and she is just like not showering and she's like very greasy and, and gross in school and she like keeps making scenes because she thinks that people are touching the back of her neck and I'm, I'm like flipping <laughs> through my book because here is like where things get out of sequence a little bit and in also in the movie um and also in the movie, yes. Um, and Abby is, like, really worried about her and, like, keeps coming over to check on her because she drives Gretchen to school in the mornings. Um, and, of course, Gretchen's parents are, like, rich, white Christians in South Carolina. And they're, like, trying to pretend like she's fine and, like, keep her from going to school so that every... So that, like, nobody can see how, like, bad that she's doing. And... I continue flipping through the book. Um, Abby develops this theory that Gretchen was sexually assaulted when she, like, ran off into the darkness naked. And she thinks that, like, Gretchen is having, like, terrible nightmares and, like, flashbacks of being assaulted. Because all all Gretchen will tell her is that, like, she can't shower. She can't sleep because she, like, feels someone, like, touching her while she's asleep. And, like, touching her face and her shoulders and she is like talking to her boyfriend from summer camp on the phone and so she like won't talk to Abby on the phone and Abby goes to 
so she she like goes over to Gretchen's house and she talks to her parents about it and her parents seize on the fact that Abby is like oh we were taking acid together at the at the lake house and they're like well you're like a terrible influence on our daughter and like you clearly did something to her and like we're dealing her drugs blah 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 and they think that Abby is the problem and so they throw her out of the house Abby then tries to go to the principal of their like private school their like Christian private school and Gretchen's parents have like already called and are like Abby is like spreading terrible rumors about our kid blah blah and like the the principal of their school threatens to uh, expel Abby if she if she keeps if she keeps doing this and at this point Abby has kind of had it with with Gretchen uh, because Gretchen keeps like not telling her what's wrong and keeps saying like weird shit about like the lake house and is like oh there's this like girl buried out there in the woods like we have to dig her up and give her a proper burial and like talking about like weird shit happening to her in the woods and i i continue it's okay if you need me to take over i got you (laughs) (laughs) and they trying to remember the sequence of events here eventually like during spirit week at their school uh gretchen is like treating abby really badly and then like they have a huge fight on the phone and abby is like we're not friends anymore like i'm not gonna talk to you anymore it's over and gretchen's like begging her not to not to do this for some reason um, and it's like, don't, don't leave me alone. Like something terrible is going to happen. And Abby is like not believing her. Cause like Gretchen has at this point been like bullying her and like forcing her to take her makeup at off at school and like expose her like acne scars. And after they have this fight, like very shortly after Gretchen shows up to school and is like fine and is like doing very well and like looks very healthy and gets kind of back in with the cool girl click and they start ignoring Abby because kind of like all of the nasty stuff that Gretchen has been doing gets pinned on Abby um and Gretchen kind of like slowly in, like re-infiltrates this cool girl click and starts like fucking with Margaret and Glee she like gives margaret these supposed like diet shakes that like are making her lose weight at like a concerning rate and like are eventually like start making her very gaunt and thin she passes glee like love letters from father morgan who is like a priest at their school uh who glee has a crush on um and it culminates in first well okay (laughs) First of all, it culminates in I I think Glee's thing is first. Is that um, is that right? I think so. Let me double check. I also just read this and I Uh okay. yes. 
so it culminates in uh first of all abby gets in trouble at school because gretchen is like doing a bunch of stuff behind the scenes and like basically pinning it on abby um and abby's like parents get called in and the principal is like oh like someone got like the star quarterback like margaret's boyfriend drunk uh at like this very important uh football game and he like vomited and like blew the game and like we heard that you were like dealing drugs to him and other students blah 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 um and abby's parents like get her out of being expelled but like as they are walking outside from this like incident glee attempts to throw herself off of the the clock tower at their school is that what it is Okay, I thought for a second I thought I was misremembering that their school had a, yeah, clock, it's like tower. a clock tower. Yeah, it's a clock tower, bell um, tower. Oh no, it's a bell tower. Which is it's a usually bell tower. also a yeah. clock tower. Yeah, it's like um, the cover's yeah, got Glee a attempts- clock and a bell on the tower. <laughs> the cover of the book. Oh, interesting. I have oh a different shit, cover. you do. You don't have the funky VHS <laughs> tape. Yeah. No, mine is a Ooh. yearbook cover. Um, and it has like a, a yearbook signings on oh, the cute. inside cover. So yeah, Glee Glee attempts to throw herself off the the bell tower, uh, because she like gets all of these like letters from Father Morgan and is like, I'm going to like kill myself to like show you how devoted I am to you. Margaret turns out to have been ingesting tapeworm eggs in the in the like protein smoothies or whatever they're supposed to be. And we find this out because uh, Abby like comes to her house to oh, bring her the food. the most gruesome scene. And like, yeah, it's, it's really gross. And like she vomits up a tapeworm. It's, the it's dog disgusting. pulls it out of her um, mouth. <laughs> yes, the dog pulls it out of her mouth. Um, and Abby contacts this um, exorcist who is not really an exorcist. He is, like, part of a troop of body, like, Christian bodybuilders who came to their school to do, like, a, like, believe in yourself and the power of Christ presentation. And this, like, particular one of them, like, Abby sees him, like, recognize something in Gretchen and he is like, there's, like, a shadow hanging over you, blah, blah, blah. And so Abby then calls him after this like this whole incident. And I was like, I think there's something going on here. And like I stole Gretchen's daybook that has like all of these like weird notes in it. And I think that she might be possessed. Of course, the, the bodybuilder brother Lemon, uh, Chris, agrees with her. Um, and is like, damn, we gotta exercise your friend. And they abduct Gretchen and take her to a beach house. This is, well, okay, first Gretchen pins uh, on Abby that she has stolen a preserved fetus from, like, a medical lab that they had a school field trip to. And so Abby is now in trouble with the police. And while this is happening, she goes out with Chris Lemon and they... They drug Gretchen, abduct her, and take her to this beach house to exercise her um, and to, like, compel this demon to come out of her body. 
Uh, and they try to do it like the standard exorcism way. They have like salt that they've prayed over and like holy water and it doesn't work. And like nothing that they are, are, are doing like seems to be quite working. And eventually uh, the, the exorcist tries like increasingly violent methods to get the demon out of Gretchen. And Abby's like, no, this isn't working. I don't want to hurt her. Like, I don't want to do this. And he leaves and is like, great, you're on your own. And Abby is able to use the power of their friendship uh, instead of the power of Christ (laughs) to get the demon out of Gretchen. Um, And then we get a little coda where uh, Abby's family, like, moves out of Charleston and she, like, doesn't speak to anyone for several months and eventually... Gretchen comes up to New Jersey to find her and they start talking again and they uh, they stay friends until they are very old and Abby dies of old age. And that's the last yep. thing that we find out. <laughs> so a lot happens in this yep. book, as you can tell. We didn't even touch on everything that happens in this book. Yeah. It's only 330 pages. So there's much a lot happens. going on. Um... <laughs> And somehow, in the movie, so much happens and nothing happens. Because they jump around. Yeah, it's like, like, to say it out loud, like, yeah, a lot happens in this book. Um, to, to say it out loud, it does sound like a lot happens in this book. But, like, in in the sense of, like, how much time it takes in the book... Like, there are a couple time skips, but a lot of it takes place over, like, a week. And then it'll be like, oh, a couple days passed. Mm -hmm. It's a new week. And then it's like, a couple days of things happening. Yeah, it is paced very well. It is a lot, but the transitions are good. And it has, like, the different things that happen really build on each other. And I think that's part of why Mm -hmm. the pacing of the movie feels so weird is because they aren't doing any build-up. They're just going to, like, even more of a summary than what Marn just did, basically. They'll be like, cool, Gretchen's uh, possessed, sick, Lemon Brothers, tapeworm, glee, (laughs) without going in between the two at all. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) It's very odd also because, like, the book does condense a lot of things, but it condenses it in, like, a way where it, it, it still feels very well paced. Like, the all of the stuff with, like, Gretchen fucking with Margaret and Glee over the course of, like, several weeks is basically, like, all fit into one yeah. chapter. And there's just, like, little jump cuts between mm-hmm. the scenes. But it's like, yeah, this works because, like, we don't need to see everything else that's happening. Like, these scenes are the important things to the plot. So I want to talk about, like, a few of the changes they made going from, like, bigger things and, like, working our way deeper in. And I think one of the first things to talk about is something we learned from the first second of the movie is that for some reason they are making Gretchen move at the end of the school year. Yeah, what was up with that? There's no purpose to that change. The reason Abby moves in the book is because their parents are literally trying to do restraining orders and separate them, which has so much more impact. And this feels just like 
a cop-out to try to make it like, so this is why they're spending so much time together, doesn't it suck? Instead of having it be like, they've been besties since they were little and their relationship is strained because Gretchen is fucking possessed by a demon. Yeah, it was also like... It it feels like a weird way for them to, like, cop out of, like, having them still be friends at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, they make it a, well, we'll probably still be friends when I move, instead of them literally yearning for each other. Yeah, like, the, the book makes it pretty explicit that like they fall out of like they fall in and out of touch with each other a lot but like they are still very close friends and they like end up living yeah. together after a, a exactly. certain point so it's a weird change that i don't think they needed to make i think again it's yeah. all to keep it within that tight 90 i think if they just added like yeah. five minute scene at the start to set up the friendship and like a five minute scene at the end actually showing like Abby and Gretchen yelling after each other with the cops separating them and like what happens there yeah. and like the moving instead the movie just kind of has Gretchen's parents show up and then black out and we just have to assume that everything got worked out hunky dory <laughs> you could even just like put the like two second frame story in of like they're adults and they're remembering this thing that yeah. happened. And it's not like and the be like, movie doesn't do an after the story thing. It does. And it just makes one up. The movie ends with like yeah, a freeze frame of this really happened weird. and this happened. And it's none, none of it is things that happened in the book. I, yeah. I meant to talk about this later on, but they did Brother Lemon so dirty. <laughs> In the like, really most did. shocking way, because he is simultaneously like done so dirty by the movie, and yet is still the most accurately characterized to the book. Yeah, and it sucks that they did him dirty because like he's played by one of my favorite yeah, and actors. He's such a good character. Like his whole deal is being like this muscle bro who is like the youngest sibling and is ready to like prove himself by uh -huh. doing this exorcism. And they get that, and they get that vibe, but. They leave him at that. They have him leave the house and never come back after the exorcism. You don't get that follow-up that you get in the book of the reason Abby does not get charged with all of these crimes is because he decides to falsely confess to everything being him. Yeah. And by cutting that out, you just make him look like an asshole in a way that it's like, is he only in this movie for com comic relief? No, he's in this movie because he's the reason Abby and Gretchen get to still be people afterwards. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's like, Grady Hendrix deals with three main themes in this book, I feel like. He deals with the themes of, like, female friendships, uh -huh. the themes of, oh, there's four main themes. Female friendships... <laughs> how authority views teenagers. Yes. Um, and the all the double standards. Um, it deals with class. That is a huge thing that is just like... Yes. 
vaguely brushed over in the movie, but like a core component of why everything falls the way it does when it does is because Abby is the poor friend, is the scholarship kid at school. Yep. And that wouldn't be happening if Abby wasn't that and her mom wouldn't be responding the same way she was if her mom hadn't also grown up part of the rich girl clique and now was not and had dealt with that falling out. And then you get what, like, religion versus beliefs. (laughs) Like, religion as an organization Mm -hmm. versus religion as, like, a belief system. Yeah, and, like, even more than, than, like, it deals with teenagers, I feel like it specifically deals with, like, how people do not listen to teenage girls. And uh, the movie just kind of ignores a lot of that. (laughs) It ignores, like, all of these, like, the chain of events in the movie feels like just bad luck after bad luck for Abby. Whereas in the book, it is calculated it is the system yeah being you gretchen is using the system for this um in that like her parents only hear abby say the word drugs and don't listen beyond that that the principal takes gretchen's mom's word over abby's all of these things father morgan taking gretchen's word for it that she's fine and feeling better (laughs) that was also a weird change in the movie is they just made him brother morgan for no reason oh yeah i forgot that they did that what was up with that they also made abby the one yeah well Well, okay i i have i have things to say about that (laughs) so in the book as marn has gone over glee is the one who has the crush on father morgan and that is like yes being tormented by gretchen plotline in the movie Abby has a crush on Brother Morgan. Gretchen teases her about it a lot. And they chose to make Glee's plot have to do with her being outed and then in love with Margaret. And then forcibly given an allergic reaction to peanuts? I have theories about why this was done. Please share. I would love to hear your thoughts here. I mean, I... Like, they're they're completely unfounded. I just, like, the way that the book versus the movie treats, like, the the queerness of female friendships is so, like, starkly different to me. Because, like, in in the book, the whole thing is that Abby and Gretchen say DB and Q to each other, which is, I love you dearly, but not queerly. And then at the end, during the exorcist, like, during the exorcism... She says, I love you dearly and queerly. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And it, like, establishes at the end of the book that uh, Abby gets divorced and they end up living together. Just gals being pals. (laughs) Raising a child together. And, like, yes, literally raising Abby's daughter together. And it's, like, established that Gretchen is, like, the person at Abby's side when she is, like, literally on her deathbed as an old Mm -hmm. woman. Anyway, my theory is that because they also changed DBNQ in the movie, because in in the movie they say Lilas, which is love you like a sister. Which does not have the same weight. Correct. My my theory is that they were like, 
it's too weird to like have these two like protagonist girls in the 80s have like an ambiguously gay relationship with each other because like the book never makes it clear like explicit that that's what it is it's very Mm -hmm. ambiguous but it's like it's pretty clear like what it how it's meant to be read and i feel like somewhere down the line someone was like well we can't make these two protagonists who are like clearly besties like ambiguously gay but we can preserve that element of having like a lesbian in our movie feels like everything in this movie they are afraid to lean into and yes exactly it is like not just the fact that like the book itself is far more gruesome and uh-huh. it feels like they really wanted to lean more towards comedy and kind of bubblegumify it in the movie. Yeah. But things don't hit the same way. It just makes it feel kind of weird and out of place and instead of balanced like it does in the book. Yeah, it it feels like they really wanted to lean on it being like a horror comedy set in the 80s. And they were like, that's the aesthetic that we're going with. So funny you should mention that. I found an interview with Damon Thomas. Oh boy. Uh, who I'm excited. Uh, was who directed mm-hmm. this. Uh, and if it wasn't clear from like how all the changes were. Uh-huh. Uh, his interview opens with, I actually came to it via the adaptation script. So the oh script my. was sent to me first. Cool. Uh, and then later on he says, then I sort of read the book. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Then I sort of read the book. And like all books, the adaptation is its own animal, which is true. It is its own creature, as he says. There's always going to be, if you don't do a direct copy of the book, people who who are dissatisfied. It's always going to happen. You never know how Gretchen gets possessed in the book. You never see that. And it's a choice, isn't it? These are things that are all choices. And it was that you would get some idea that something had happened. You don't actually see it happen, but you know it happened in the house and you know it was a specific kind of event. Whereas in the book, you're not quite sure how it happened. Also, there's moments in the book where you're unsure whether it has happened. But I think that when she obviously kills the dog, it's really full on. So the script was my introduction to the Grady Hendrix world. And I obviously love the 80s. It's sort of my decade. I like the simpler times. She doesn't even kill the dog in the movie. And it's, you can tell that he went into this thinking, ooh, this is a fun 80s flick. He goes on to talk about the type of communication. He talks about the Ouija board, which he talks a lot about the Ouija board in this interview, which Mm -hmm. I would like to point out to listeners who may not have read the book. They never use a Ouija board in the book. They joke about doing it, and then they don't use it. There's never a Ouija board used in the book. It's used in the movie as, like, this is what brings the demon. They somehow are afraid to lean into what makes the book scary while adding unnecessary things. They stop explaining the things that need to be explained, like the friendship, and start over-explaining things that don't need it, like how Gretchen gets possessed. So this is really interesting to me because I think that this man did not specifically understand one of the large points of the book, which is that the possession is scarier for not having been seen on screen because it's consistently framed as a sexual assault. Yes. Like, 
throughout the entire book. Mm-hmm. And even and like even in the beginning stages of Gretchen being possessed, like before that we know that's what it is, she is like talking on the phone all the time to an invisible boyfriend who we later find out is the demon. Mm-hmm. And like that is a thing that Grady Hendrix comes back to in like uh, one of his other books, uh, Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Like this idea of like being assaulted, kind of like slightly off camera by something very supernatural that like you can't tell anyone about. And I think that he does it really well because it is kept explicitly off camera, and it's like all character like characters who we aren't in the point of view of and like we only get their kind of like after the fact reactions from the point of view character. Yes, Grady Hendrix does that really well. He does that in um the Final Girl support group as well with Heather's character. Oh yeah, he does. Um yeah, I forgot about that. And it's just the sort of thing where the movie while I understand wanting to give us more of Gretchen's perspective, it takes away from the dread that Abby is feeling. And I think that's a lot of where the pacing feels off and the story kind of falters in the movie is that Abby is no longer our focus character. It is split between Abby and Gretchen. So you're getting too much new information, but not enough information at the same time. A lot of the dread is Abby's fear of losing her best friend. And when you see these things happening to Gretchen, instead of Abby having to try it, to pry it out of Gretchen, it loses that sense of urgency and sense of losing your best friend. Yeah, and it, it does, like, feel now, like, looking back on it, that, like, a lot of those decisions were made by, like, someone extremely coming from the point of view of, like, Oh, I don't really understand why it would be scary to, like, have your friend wander off naked into the woods and just, like, not come back. Yes. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes. Whereas in the book, it is terrifying. And it's... Yeah, like, why... In the movie, Gretchen and Abby go explore the spooky house, and they hear noises, and they run from it. And it's, it's... It's frustrating and interesting that like the director is so close yet so far because he says in the same interview uh he says the exorcist is a benchmark in exorcisms isn't it so do you do the spinning head do you do the vomit everything will always be compared to that great movie i just wanted the exorcism to be something that was different try something new to have this all-out character etc etc but i think He's so close to hitting, like, trying to do something different. And then when Grady Hendrix has given you something different to work with, he's not using it. Yeah. You have this different setup. You have this Gretchen jumps into the water and never comes out. And you don't use it. Yeah, and instead you did, like, a spooky fucking Evil Dead cabin with, like... A scary tree. They put the supernatural elements in so early in the movie when it's something that is not confirmed until like two thirds of the way into the book at the earliest. Yeah. Part of like the slow burn and the point of the book is that like 
yeah, obviously, like, it's called My Best Friend's Exorcism, but, like, throughout a lot of the book, you're like, did she, like, what, is she actually possessed, or is this just, like, something that Abby thinks to, like, rationalize why her friend is acting this way? I think the one thing the movie does well in that scene for the adaptation, because of how it is organized, is they really create the discord through through when Gretchen says you left me. Yes, I, I liked, liked that how part. they built that. It's not that the movie it is not a bad movie. It's a fun watch and I think if you haven't read the book you're going to have fun, but I think you're going to be kind of confused and be like, "Well, yes. this was almost good." And I I thought it was interesting that I looked up what Grady Hendrix thought of it. Um, when it was uh-huh. in process, so before the movie was finished. And his quote was, I wrote My Best Friend's Exorcism back in 2015, so having it get made into a movie now feels like my kid has gone off to college and is sending me postcards. I'm psyched to hear the news, but it's out of my hands. In this case, however, it sounds like they're hanging out with the right crowd, so I feel like they're not going to die from binge drinking or setting themselves on fire, which is very exciting. And I think that's exactly what we get in this movie. Yeah. They're off at college. They're not binge drinking. They're not setting themselves on fire. They, But they have blacked out at a few parties, and they're definitely getting Ds on their report card. Yes. I um I was interested to find out that Grady Hendrix wasn't involved in like the actual script writing, because I know that he's like written yeah, movies. Yeah, he wasn't involved in the script writing. He is credited as an executive producer, but that doesn't uh, mean okay. fuck about shit. Um, having yeah, like no, that just means, grown up yeah. around a lot of industry folks, that means they wanted to pay him more money than what they yeah, could yeah, have paid yeah, him yeah. for just the rights, is what that means. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, why not? Um Yeah, I um I watched this with uh my wife who has not read the book yet. I think she might read it at some point because we're gonna talk about it on Dead Letter Society, okay. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, we, we kind of agreed that it was okay like it it's was okay. okay it's got some really fun moments yes and then there are there are some like scenes that they put in there that are just like not from the book they're just like completely original and like some of those are fine yeah, and some of them are like why would you do this it's yeah. it's interesting how they like, like... clearly wanted to make the the book leans into the fact that it's in the 80s. It is unapologetically set in the 80s with the way the characters talk and the way they interact. And, like, Hendrix acknowledges it throughout the book as, like, this is a product of the time it's set in. And I think it's done in a very, like, cool way, but also in a way where I could see a movie releasing wanting to back off of a little bit. Um, But then they do it in different ways so i can see them wanting to back off from uh dearly but not queerly but then they lean into the glee plot with a lot of homophobia and then yeah they pull away from like the fact that these are kids at like a christian school to the point where they add the weirdest most pointless line the like, most pointless change of they just wanted to add a one-liner here of when Brother Lemon <laughs> asks if she's baptized and in the book she goes, uh, sure? Which is funny enough to start with. 
And in the movie, he goes, are you baptized? And Abby goes, I'm Jewish. Yeah. And it's like, girl, you go to a Christian private school. Yeah, it it weirdly feels like, like, I'm trying to figure out what I want, like, how I want to say it. I figured you would have something. It, <laughs> yeah, it weirdly feels like they wanted to lift the tone of a lot of what happens in the book to, like, make it more of a horror comedy. But, like, while the book doesn't have... While the book is not, like, a straightforward horror... Co- like, it-, it has comedy, but the comedy never detracts from the fact that, like, what is happening is, like, horrific and awful. Yes. And, like, it feels like for the movie, they wanted to, like, lift the tone of it so that they could sell it as, like, oh, it's, like, a fun 80s horror comedy about, like, girl best friends and, like, for that reason, it gets really weird when they keep in some of the, like, darker and grosser stuff from the book. Yeah, it makes things like the tapeworm scene seem more out of place. Um, it makes, yeah. when they sort of change, like, the fetal pig dissection is mentioned in the book, but when they make that more of the focus than stealing the fetus, it feels out of place when they have abby hallucinating it it feels out of place um and they just it's again that issue of like they are afraid to commit to things in a way that makes it hard to understand why it's important in scenes too like thinking about gretchen taking off abby's makeup i like how I like how they changed that scene. Obviously, that's like the scene I was thinking about leading into this, is that in the book, yeah. it is Spirit Week, and it is set in South Carolina, and they have a very, a yikes spirit day, for lack yes. of a better term. And it's addressed as such. And it even says in the book, five years later, this spirit day would have been removed from the school. And in and that is what leads to Gretchen taking off Abby's makeup. And in the movie, it is like a fundraiser, like a spirit carnival. And Gretchen convinces Abby to get set up in a dunk tank. And instead of missing, like she says she's going to, she dunks her and Abby's makeup starts to run. Uh, but they don't yeah. give us enough setup for why that's important. We have Abby say to Gretchen, you know why this is important to me and why we're not friends anymore, but they haven't shown us that buildup, whereas in the book we get Abby had, like, crippling acne, and while her friends were rich enough to afford to go to a dermatologist, she wasn't, so she has really bad scars, and she's very self-conscious about it, and Gretchen helped her pick out makeup and learn how to do it, and paid for all of Abby's makeup so that she could feel more confident in herself despite having a bunch of acne scars, and she wears full-face makeup to school every day, but we don't have that context. They also did Elsie Fisher yeah. with that hair. Oh, yeah, they Abby's really supposed did. to have, like, big hair in the book, but she's still supposed to, like... But it's, like, big, long hair. Yeah. Yeah, she's supposed to have, like, like big 80s hair in the yeah, book, Yeah, like, she talks about teasing she, like, it on the way to school. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Gretchen, when she, like, gets possessed, she, like, cuts all yeah, her hair off. she crimps it all, and then she that cuts point, it all off. Like, they just don't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 
it's again really weird because it, it it feels like they lightened up a lot of parts like they they have glee like not attempt suicide and like have the whole thing where like she's deathly allergic to peanut butter and like gretchen gives her a brownie that has peanut yeah, gretchen butter just in it and it's like oops well like, she survives yeah but gretchen just fucking kills her i actually had like a false memory that she does die in the book <laughs> yeah glee does make it out I, in the book as well yes she does and which i like could have sworn until I reread it that she dies because they, uh, I I mostly remembered that they build up a lot like what happened to her, um, in like Abby's memory, and then when you like finally get to it, it's like, well, this is horrific and awful. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned Wallace but, like, Stony. Yeah, because he's like not. <laughs> he's like a non-entity in the book. Other than, like, a few moments. And in the movie, they make him so important. Yeah, he's, like, Margaret's shitty boyfriend who is a jock. Yeah, and I don't get why they made him show up to the lake house. You still could have had suspicion be put on him without it. There was a lot more Wallace Stoney (laughs) than there needed to be at the start of this book. At the start of this movie. Yeah, I I had forgotten how little he shows up in like the the first half of this book i guess in just like the book at all uh because they they put him right in there with the girls at the lake house and like he is the one who brings the acid yeah which is not which is i don't know it's it's all very weird jump around they also introduce the lemon brothers way early in the movie whereas like they introduce the lemon brothers right after the lake house whereas in the book it's like after Gretchen has already gotten past her being sick and weird section and is popular again. And the Eleven Brothers are, like, calling her out. It's yeah, a It's a weird it's... pacing. I understand wanting to introduce them earlier a little bit, but they also make, like, the demon have, like, a personal vendetta with the Lemon Brothers and, like... Yeah, that was and very create weird. this weird backstory like... for Chris with his mom and hallucinate. Like, in the book, they're still introduced pretty early, but it's, it's like, even earlier in the book, I think. Like, it's it's before Gretchen is, like, fine again and, like, possessed by the demon, but it's when she's, like, acting really, like, weird and, like, won't talk to Abby. I thought it was after. I thought it was when she was, like, no, it is after because it's when she's flirting with Wallace. Because Wallace, like, whispers something to her before going up on stage with the Lemon Brothers. Oh, yeah. So in the book, it's after she's better. And in the movie, it's, like, right after she gets possessed. Weird. Yeah, they they mix up events in a very weird way in this movie. Yeah. Like, it is a fun movie. And I do love that, like, the lines they do keep for Lemon are all almost, like, word for word from the book. Including the protein load. Yes, I, I did like that they kept most of his dialogue exactly the same. I thought that was really yeah, fun. <laughs> even though they did him so dirty. Yeah, and it's it's weird because I like... also think it I understand them doing casting for diversity in the movie, and we love to see that. It felt weird considering in the book Margaret's family lives on a plantation. 
Yes. That felt like a choice. Very... And I don't know yeah. in what direction of a choice it was, but it was definitely a choice. I kind of assumed it was in a didn't read the book very thoroughly direction. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's fair. But yeah, it's um, it's also very weird to like that they they word for word kept a lot of the dialogue in some scenes, but they like cut out a lot of the stuff that establishes character of friendship between Abby and and Gretchen like they they don't have any inside jokes or anything whereas like in the book they are like constantly referencing like inside jokes and they like have their own friendship language yes. yeah they just I think Elsie Fisher and oh, what is her name that plays Gretchen I can't remember I don't think I have it written down but they, I think they both did incredible jobs with what they were given they just weren't given enough like their acting was fantastic and they make the most out of trying to like portray themselves as besties but even the best acting does not answer that question of well why are you besties yeah it, it really is like they they do a very good job with it and they just weren't we're given a lot of context to work with. Yeah. It 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 is a shame because like a lot of the actors in this movie are yeah. great. Like they're they're, they're killing absolutely it. Absolutely crushing their performances easily. They're just like it's it's interesting because like usually you think show don't tell, but this movie needed to show us other things and tell instead of showing for some things. Like in the book, you never get to see the demon, except for its hand kind of climbing yeah. out at one point. In the movie, you see the demon and they, like, light him on fire. Yeah, that, um, I didn't, I didn't like that. Me neither. I mean, in- also, the CGI was not great. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. Um, I mean, like, in, in the book, they, like, tell you specifically, like, which demon it mm-hmm. is. And, uh, they show, like signs of that demon around like there are always owls around and stuff because it's it's andrus who is like the the owl guy and but which by the way it is andrus and not andras like they say it in the movie because in the book she calls him andy and that wouldn't work unless it's pronounced andrus (laughs) anyway they did also cut out one of my favorite scenes from the book which is uh when Gretchen is, like, acting weird at her house and all the birds start flying into the window. Yes, they, like, cut out basically everything with the birds except for when they're already at the exorcism. Then yeah, Brother Lemon is, like... Yeah, there's, like, a bunch of CGI like, owls hanging out. Yeah, and Brother Lemon is, like, mm, have there been birds around? This is Andrus we're dealing with. <laughs> and it's, like, no, you... They, they waited until the exorcism to reveal what demon it was, whereas in the book, like... Brother Lemon clocks it. He's like, hey, have there been fucking owls around? And Abby's like, yeah. God, yes, like thousands. And he's like, cool, I know which bastard this is. Yeah, in the book, there's this like really arresting scene kind of like uh, halfway through where like it- it's when Abby shows up to like check on Gretchen and like her mom is like doing a book club or whatever. And like Gretchen comes downstairs after Abby has like been upstairs with her and they, they've been like talking about stuff and Gretchen is like acting very weird um and like as her 
as her dad is like trying to run interference, a bunch of birds like start slamming into the windows of their house. Um, and it, it specifies there's like all kinds of birds. There's like a pelican um, and like crows and sparrows. And like these owls come and start like tearing them apart and eating them. Yeah. And it is like one of the images from the book that like sticks in my brain. The other one, of course, being the tapeworm, which is just like disgusting. <laughs> oh, God, the tapeworm. Um, which, which I do think they did justice to. In the I movie. do think they did justice to the tapeworm scene in the movie. Yep. <laughs> Even if it does seem out of place, because it's, like, by far the grossest thing that happened, because they, like, toned everything else down. They toned everything else down so much that the tapeworm scene, which was already one of, if not the most gruesome scene, felt even worse. I was like, Yeah, and, like, it is very clearly, like, a a CGI tapeworm, but that doesn't stop it from being, like, incredibly gross. I was almost mad that they spoiled that in the trailer for this movie because in the book, it's like so scary because you genuinely don't know what's like going on with Margaret. And it seems like she has been poisoned or like Gretchen has like put some kind of curse on her. (laughs) And they, and like, even in the scene where you find out it like does a very good job into tricking you that it's, like, demonic in nature up until, like, pretty much the very moment that you read that it is a tapeworm. Because yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, this gross thing that comes out yeah, of her. And, and, like, Abby has no context for what And they also, they tried to tone it down in the movie in the weirdest way of saying, yeah, the longest one that came out of her was 11 feet long. Whereas in the book, the longest one that comes out of her is 33 feet long. Yeah, it's it's real gross. It's real gross. And it's like, the movie is good, but the movie wants to play to a younger audience than the book does. Or either that or the movie doesn't trust the audience to be interested in it if it's as gross as the book is. I don't know if the movie knows who it wants its audience to be. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like it, it. it's trying to like walk the line between being like a PG-13 horror movie and like a soft R horror movie and it like can't figure out if it wants to commit to that PG-13 ar- mm-hmm. audience, which by the way, there are some PG-13 horror movies that are really good and they don't pull their punches. Yep. This is true. I think even if they were aiming for PG-13, they could have done more with it. So it makes me it makes me wonder what Amazon specifically what their internal rules were since it's an Amazon original. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's odd. <laughs> it made some odd choices. I I like <laughs> understand them cutting Good Dog Max since like yes, I <laughs> I think that having Gretchen kill her dog in the movie would have required a level of commitment to the darker tone that they were clearly not willing to Correct. give it. <laughs> like, because in the book, it, it 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 gets built up to. Like, she is stoking this feud between her dad and, like, their neighbor... Uh, who, like, hates their dog, and, like, their dog is always in his yard, like, eating the trash, and she, like, specifically 
kills good dog Max because she's like, I want my dad and the neighbor to like get into a violent conflict because it's South Carolina and we all have guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it feels very earned, if not like the most horrific thing that she does. And like, that is the moment where Abby understands that she has to commit to the exorcism because she knows for a fact that Gretchen would never act like this on her own. Yeah. It's so important, but it definitely, like, you couldn't have that as a standalone scene in this movie. You would have to commit. Yeah. And it's, I was also thinking about it, and it's like, the the movie shies away from, like, Grady Hendrix is great at writing female-specific horror in yes, a way that the absolutely. movie shied away from, both in, like, how the female friendships work and, like, the fear of, like, your friend being naked in the woods and something happening and the fear of losing your best friend especially when you're in this friend group with these mean popular girls and also the fact that like in the book one of the like early horrors that you can tell Gretchen is dealing with the way you can tell that stuff is going on with Gretchen is she's been having her period for multiple weeks non-stop and that's horrifying. Yeah, it's I I did forget about that. Yeah, that is that really adds to the the metaphor of it all and like the the body horror almost. Yeah. Yeah, it really is like borderline body horror. It like a lot of the the decisions in the movie that were made say to me that like the people who were involved in, like, the chief decision-making process were mostly people who, like, don't understand how to portray, like, deep female friendship and also people who don't understand, like, the nuances of horror and, like, body horror specific to women. Yes. Which... Is interesting and, like, not something I would have necessarily expected. Because, let me double check this, but I'm pretty sure... Hold on, doing a, doing a Google. Yeah, so the script itself, um, the teleplay for the movie, was written by... Um, was written by Jenna Lamia, who... Interesting. You would think, you know, would have a little bit of a grasp on it. But also, let me double check what she wrote, but I'm pretty sure someone on the writing team, I got to find which of the articles I read that this was. It wasn't her, but there was someone on the writing team who had also worked on uh, Happy Death Day. Oh, interesting. Which explains the lean closer towards comedy. Yeah. But that's okay. I see. I I don't know. I don't see anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this is very interesting information. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. I think that Grady Hendrix writes women-focused horror in a very specific and nuanced way that like I would not normally trust a male novelist to tackle. But I don't know what he is. He, yes. he fucking has, like, the secret sauce, I guess. 
Like, he gets he it. it. <laughs> he gets it. Okay, I found who it was. Um, Christopher Landon, who was the producer for My Best Friend's Exorcism, was the okay, director that makes of Happy sense. Death Day. So, not quite as much of a sway in the actual, like, yeah, visuals, yeah, yeah. but I do think that, like, things that are more production-oriented, yes, that makes that, sense That with. makes perfect sense to me. Um, no, knowing his oeuvre. <laughs> yes. Um. Um, but yeah, Grady Hendrix really has, like, a grasp on female horror that I would not expect. And it's, like, not yes. just this book. It's, it's like, all of his books. consistent across all of his books. And it's not done in exactly the same mm-hmm. way each time. And it, like, takes on different elements while still having, like... Read Grady yeah. Hendrix's books, guys. Yeah, Just like, a it. large... A large slice of the, like, thematic stuff that all of his books cover are, like, what it means to experience horror as, like, a middle-class, working-class person. And also what it means to experience horror as a woman who no one listens to. Yes. And I think that, like, if... If you're not willing to, like, fully lean into those themes, then, like, why would- why adapt one of those books, you know? (laughs) Like, okay, Grady Hendrix has written a couple movies. I've watched one of them. It has the same themes. I don't think it's done as well or as nuanced as his books, but I liked how it did the- I like I still think about that movie because I liked how it does some of what it does. It's um oh boy, what is the movie called? Satanic Panic. It's about a pizza delivery girl who um gets lured to a house of a bunch of rich people who want to sacrifice her in a satanic ritual, basically. Um and a lot of the setup is kind of based on she wants to leave these rich people's house, but she can't until they like give her her tip. And it, a lot of like a lot of the horror and comedy comes from this setup that like she is trapped there until they pay her like her money that they're gonna give her so that like she can get gas and go home. Yep. <laughs> And, like, he deals with the nuances of that so well that, like, on the first pass reading My Best Friend's Exorcism, you Uh may not notice it. But on the second pass, one of the first things Gretchen does once she is possessed is asks Abby to go buy something for her. Asks Abby to spend money on Gretchen, who has all of it. And that is not something we see in any of the flashback. That is only something we see once Gretchen gets possessed. And you can tell that Abby is, like, tense about it, even though it's her bestie and she's going to do it anyways. And Gretchen's like, you can get a phone for cheap. Uh You can get one resale for, like, only $10. But $10 in the 80s. Yeah, it's kind of odd in in the movie especially because, like, we're... 
very in Abby's point of view a lot of the time, but we don't necessarily get access to, like, her thoughts about her financial situation or, like, her living situation in the same way that we do in the book. Because in the book, she kind of resents her parents for being poor. And Mm -hmm. it's explored in a really interesting way. And she, like can't really wrap her head around why, like, her mom doesn't want her to, like, hang out with the rich kids. And she, like, has has a job and, like, has bought everything in her room on her own. And, like, her room is her safe space because she, like, has bought all of these nice things for herself with her own money. And she, like, doesn't necessarily pay a lot of attention to the fact that she is like a scholarship student at their school and like she is surrounded by rich kids until this thing happens and she is like suddenly on the outs of everyone yeah and they don't really dive into that much they mention things like offhand like "Mm, i see you're a Uh scholarship student miss rivers but they don't commit to any of it they they show Abby at her part-time job, but they don't emphasize how much that is. By the way, $10 in the 80s is like 37 bucks now. Yeah. That's a lot to ask your friend who's working yeah. at the yogurt shop to go buy. Um, and like, it mentions briefly, like, they try to show her living situation in comparison to Gretchen's, but they don't commit to Gretchen's parents being super religious. And like, the ways they're controlling and they don't commit to Abby being like dealing with like the financial issues here. The movie didn't want to deal with any of the problems that weren't Andrus. Yeah. Yeah. It, they really like narrowed in on like, okay, the demon thing is the conflict without like interrogating what makes it such a compelling conflict. <laughs> yes, exactly. And they don't narrow in on the fact that, like, the demon is there to uh-huh. cause conflict in these yeah. ways. And they just kind of do Abby dirty with the way they characterize her as well. They make her seem kind of, like, meek. They make her seem, like, kind of following Gretchen around or tagging along. They make it seem like Glee and Margaret aren't actually her friends. When, like, by this point, they are in the book. They are actually friends. But they don't make it seem like Margaret and Glee like her at all. Yeah. And And they make her seem, like, afraid of what's going on. When in the book, Abby is the first one to take the acid. Abby just goes for it before any of them can chicken out. Yeah. And it's just, like, she's just a lot more chill in the uh-huh. book, I think it is. She's, like, more of a t- normal teenage girl. And I think they let 8th grade influence how they wrote Abby too much for Elsie Fitcher. I think Elsie could have still crushed it, even if they let Abby be a little bit more confident. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's like, it is weird that they like portray her as like the kind of like the dorky friend in the movie when like, yeah, she like actively isn't that. (laughs) Like, that's kind of the point. Yeah. 
Um, do you have any, I think those are like most of the points I wanted to hit. So do you have any final thoughts before we start wrapping up? Uh, I think I got all my thoughts out. That might be it. Cool. Then I have a question yeah. for you, Marn. If you were making this adaptation. Oh boy. What is like, if you were, ta- if you were taking this adaptation that we've seen, this movie, what is something you would do to try to fix it? Um, ooh. I would pull it up to a hard R rating and just go for it. Like, I would just nice. make all of the all of the horror and dread a lot more explicit while also leaving the things that were deliberately left off screen off screen. Nice. And then I have my two fa- <laughs> final, final I did my, I did my questions oh, no. in the wrong order because this is the first episode and that's fine. Um, but there's two questions I'm trying to answer here on unnatural selection. Can an adaptation be good and can an adaptation be faithful? So how faithful would you say this adaptation is? Would you say it's faithful, faithful in parts? I think this is a weird one because it is like very faithful in certain scenes and then like the rest of it isn't. And I'm still so intrigued by that choice that they made. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> um, and would you say that it's a good adaptation? I think it's fine. I think it's like a like a three out of five. <laughs> like, I I know we okay. I know we said this, but like, people who haven't read the book will enjoy it. So yeah, like it's it's a fine movie. Yeah. And that is, like, the question is, like, is it a good adaptation? Eh, it's like a 50%. Is it a good movie? It's, yeah, I, I think it's it's a cohesive movie and it's fine. <laughs> like, if I, watch, if I watched it it's without fine. having read the book, I'd be like, that was a good movie. And then I wouldn't think about it again, probably. <laughs> I think that's about where I'm at with it, too. I think if I didn't have the context, I would have gone, hmm, neat. Yeah. I think it's... I don't think it's a great adaptation. I think it's an okay adaptation. And you're right that at some points it's very faithful, and at others it is very Yeah, (laughs) and, like, I, I don't necessarily think that it is a convincing case for reading the book. But I do want to say, if you've only watched the movie, you should read the book. You should definitely read the book. If you haven't watched the movie, yeah. read the book. If you've read the book, <laughs> yeah, read, read it, it again. Time. <laughs> we both did. Um, so I guess that wraps us up for this first episode of Unnatural Selection. Marn, would you like to plug any social media or other shows, upcoming things? Yeah, sorry. I was just hit with like a brain lightning bolt about how there was going to be a horror store adaptation that like also totally missed the point and then they never got around to making it. I'm kind of glad that that never happened. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't get to miss the point. I would still love to see a horror store yeah, adaptation. Yeah, it was like they were... But if they get the point. They were going to make it like an anthology of like people buying cursed objects from the fake Ikea. (laughs) Oh, that misses the point. 
<laughs> that misses the point so hard. Listeners, don't even think about that concept. Go read horror story. Um, <laughs> let us make the horror yeah, story adaptation. Let us make all future Grady Hendrix adaptations. <laughs> Grady Hendrix, we are here and we are Literally. ready. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Court Survivors. Um, you, I plugged two of my podcasts at the beginning of this. Uh, you can also find me on Dead Letter Society, where uh, I did an episode with my friend Danny, where we talked about Horror Store and uh, how much we like Grady Hendrix. So if you want to hear like another hour of me talking about how much I like Grady Hendrix, you can go listen to that. <laughs> and I'm Emma. You can, as you know, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Emma Sca. That's E M A T S C A. And I will be making a Twitter for this podcast, even though Twitter is in a dumpster fire. So I'll also probably be making a Tumblr. You'll hear an editing version of me say what those are (laughs) when those happen. Take it away, editing me. Hi, everyone. Editing Emma here to let you know that we do have a Twitter now. You can follow us on Twitter at unselectpod for updates and fun little goofs and whatever happens during recording. You know how Twitter is. Also, at the time of recording this, we did not have intro music, and now we do. That wonderful song you heard right at the start of this episode was written for the podcast, composed by Jake Loringer. You can check out more of his stuff on Bandcamp at amaranthine.bandcamp.com. That'll be spelled out in the show notes. And back to original Emma. Thanks! (laughs) Um, I don't have a sign-off yet. That's that's the best way to edit your podcast, TBH. <laughs> yeah, I'll figure one out later. Yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. We didn't have a po- we didn't have a sign off for Argonauts until like a year into recording Argonauts. You're fine. <laughs> that's Args, baby. That's adaptations, buddy. <laughs> Our sign off for Champs is just bye. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> to be like and as always let us make your movie (laughs) that's a good one i like that one so and always let us make your movie Nicole was your typical hopeless romantic, moonlighting as a fanfiction writer. Claudia was a hard-headed activist with a YouTube channel and the mysterious past. When Nicole hit a deep funk in her writing, Claudia suggests one of her hidden passions, romance novels. Now the two have fallen into a world of endless handsome hunks, doe-eyed damsels, and lascivious lovers. It is now their sacred duty to rank these novels on three criteria. Their steaminess. I had to fan myself off. Their dreaminess. She's not missing anything without him, but he makes her life better. And their meaniness. Cal wouldn't be in some small town pie eating contest. That's not why he left me. <laughs> Join our heroines every other week as they overcome unhealthy relationship archetypes, thesaurus abusing authors, and anatomical inaccuracies to prove that love can conquer all on the Three Little Words Podcast, only on the Moonshot Network.